What's happening, running fans? Welcome to the Trackstep podcast brought to you by Pillar Performance. For those of you that are new to the show, Pillar is a sports micronutrition company who have developed products that intersect between pharmaceutical intervention and sports supplements for athletes. The easiest way to describe it is hydration and carbohydrate products will take you to the finish line. Pillar's mission is to get athletes to the start line in the best condition over and over again. Now, if you'd like to try Pillar today, head to pillarperformance.shop or if you're listening to us from the USA, head to thefeed.com forward slash pillar and enter our discount code Trackster for 15% off. That's Trackster for 15% off all of your first time purchases. Once again, I do have the glamorous Alfie with me. Alfie, how are we today, buddy? What's happening? I'm doing very well. I feel like we're getting to the point in the season where things are starting to pick up. We've been hibernating since mid-December, not much going on. And now we're finally starting to see a lot more news in the running world. So it's great for us, easier for us to do our job as well, rather than trying to think of things to post about. So yeah, doing well. What about yourself? I'm good, mate. I'm all right. You know, not too bad on this uh, grim, rainy, grey, sorry day. But otherwise, it's been okay, mate. It's been a good week. And uh, yeah, like you say, running is uh, and athletics is starting to kick off again. Obviously, indoors is coming back uh, gradually. A few American meets are popping up and a couple of the European ones as well. So it's uh, it's exciting times and it's good to just have some racing and some competition back, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's making me a bit jealous seeing all these uh, fast times go down in some races in like all these European countries. It doesn't feel like we've got anything going on here yet. Uh, well, hopefully that you know, might change in next month when the British champs is. And also I think a lot of Brits and Europeans are deciding to go out to the States as well to compete in America, which we'll touch on in this uh, uh, podcast as well. But I'm just looking outside of my window and the storm is a, looks a little bit challenging to run in. And I've got a session later, which I'm not looking forward to brave uh, the 50 mile an hour wins. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Might not make it to trip, tomorrow. Right. Get yourself on the trilly. Too soft. I'm too soft now. Been going on the treadmill too much, relying on it, and uh, it shouldn't be, shouldn't happen when I'm so far up north that I need to get used to this weather. That is very true. That is very true. Well, we're going to start the uh, we're going to start the episode before we get into anything regarding uh, the last week and also what's coming up. We're going to run through our training weeks. So, Alfie, last week you ran me through your training week, which blew my mind. Do you want to run me through? Your past seven days, obviously, I know you raced this part this 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 previous weekend. So yeah, run us through everything in the build up to that, and talk us through the race itself. Yeah, a little bit more simple this week because I was taping for a race. So Monday was just an easy fifteen k, just straightforward. Really, I think it was like four twenty seven pace, so like seven oh something minute miles, so just nice and easy. Tuesday was my Charleston hill sprints in the morning, which is just running up a hill, walking down it like just flat out uh, eight reps at that. And then the evening was my taper session. So I did four 400s at 64s to 65s with 100 meters jog recovery in about 30 seconds. And then four 400s at like 61s with 400 meters jog recovery. And then I did two 200s or three 200s, can't remember, at like 28s, 29s, 30s. So just a nice session to keep ticking over. However, I did go to that uncaffeinated because I want to try getting used to not training in caffeine and I felt dreadful. So I need to, I need to practice that because I'm basically living and relying on, co- of, on a caffeine for these sessions. So I need to get used to that at some point. Wednesday was just 10k easy. I like to reduce the volume quite a lot uh, on race week. Thursday again was just 10k easy. I think a bit slower this time. So probably more like 440, 450 per kilometer. 
uh, which is just under eight minute miles. Friday, traveled down. So I did 3K in the morning before the train. And when I got there, I ran to the course, which is in Parliament Hill or kind of, you're, you know better than me, like North London. North area. London, yeah. Um, ran around the course a bit, ran back. So it was like 6K with some strides in there. Saturday was a race. So I did a one mile shakeout in the morning and then did a 10K on what could only be described as hell. It was quite hilly. No, it was very hilly, actually, but it was a 2K loop, so you had to do the same hills five times. Some parts were icy, some parts were muddy, so you'd slip on the mud, and then also you'd slide on the ice. It was it was a proper true cross-country course. Didn't exactly race my best, I think. I came 10th. England won the team, though, so that was good. Got a free pack of coffee. And uh, I think around 30, 30 minutes and 50 seconds for the 10K cross course, which is okay, uh, considering the conditions. And then Sunday was just a 20K through the streets of London, which honestly, I don't know how Londoners run. Uh, maybe it's just I'm not used to routes. Like I, I ran from Clapham to like Fulham and then back. And there's so many runners just doing the same route. And it's like, surely there must be more than, uh, why don't they all just go to the parks? I just wasn't really prepared because I had a friend basically doing me a little tour guide through London. So saw so many runners, so many super shoes, which everyone seems to wear in London, even if they're jogging. So yeah, good week overall. Little disappointed in the race, but nothing too terrible to uh, dwell on anyway. How many how many k's did you clock across the week? Honestly, on race week, I don't actually track it fully. It it should be around eighty kilometers, but I don't like upload it to Strava. Oh, I, I say I don't like. I just forget. And when I train indoors as well, I just can't be bothered to upload it. But around eighty kilometers, fifty miles. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, your long run on Sunday. You, um... London's actually one of the best places to run, even though you might disagree. But that's because we have so many good parks. So if you stick to the parks, they're all they're all private from from cars and traffic. Obviously, you have to go quite early in the morning. Else, a lot there's a lot of tourists. But I'm just looking at the map now. Um, you could have done. I mean, you could have run literally to Battersea Park uh, and then run up the road and done a lap to Hyde Park, and then even if you wanted to run up a little bit further and done a lap at Regent's Park. Um, well, I said I was going to come up and see you at Regent's Park, but uh, my friend who I was running with decided to be a bit of a tour guide, and hopefully he's listening to this, and I just wanted to know that the run was quite miserable uh, with the route he took me on. Uh, just looking at Clapham to Fulham is pretty, yeah, terrible, not a good life. <laughs> anyway, it's all good. It's all part, of the, all, t- all part of the tourist experience. So, yeah, another good week, mate, and obviously we're going to touch on that uh, London International Cross Country uh, event as a whole, but... Um, yeah, I mean, you're not a bad runner overnight, mate. It's only one race. You'll uh, you'll live and learn from it, and I'm sure you're going to go better in the next one. I hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. It should be fine. Everyone has bad races, so yeah, exactly. I'm not going to dwell on it. Exactly. Um, all right, so training week was around 62 miles last week across six days. Took Friday off. So Monday around eight miles easy, uh, 7.19 per mile. I'm not going to be putting this into kilometre conversions, guys. Sorry. I'm a proper athlete. Tuesday, I ran another eight miles. That was at seven and a half minute miles. Both of those runs just to my local trails. So most of it's like just, yeah, trail, cross-country mud. It's quite good, actually. Good for the legs. Wednesday was the interval session of the week. So I did a 40-minute fartlek of a minute on, minute off with three-mile warm-up and two-and-a-half-mile cool-down. So that was 12 miles all in. And the minutes was like started at 3.30 per K. Um and I worked down to like 310 per K 
and then the the jogs were all around seven to seven twenty per mile, so all around like yeah four minute k pace. So it's quite a decent, quite a decent um, forty minute farlek. Uh, although it was so cold that day, it was that day in in London. It was like minus four, minus five degrees. So yeah, I just I couldn't really feel my legs during the whole session. So it wasn't exactly built for fast a fast session day. Thursday, easy hour recovery, another eight miles on the trails at seven twenty three a mile. Friday I took off. Saturday I did eighteen miles long run. I did like three miles, uh, three miles around Bushy Park, and then I met my friend Jackson. Did another three miles with him. Then I jumped into Park Run uh, with a thousand people, which was funny because I was just carrying on my long run. So I did another three miles of Park Run, and then I did the rest solo, and I averaged seven oh five per mile. So that was two hours and eight minutes running. Uh, and then Sunday I had work on the Sunday morning at Run Through. Uh, MC and at Regent's Park and then I went home in the afternoon did an hour easy at 720s so another eight miles so yeah 62 miles six running days very uneventful training week but um, yeah technically that's week one of marathon training uh, and it went really well like I felt fantastic on literally every single run I, I started running I was like why do I feel so good um, but I think I was just because the recovery run and I kept super slow and super easy and then just prioritized sleep and things like that. So yeah, mate, a good week. Good one to start the uh, marathon block. Well, you, you said very uneventful there, but I feel like if people's training weeks are eventful, then they're probably doing something wrong. You mm. kind of want to just take over, especially in the marathon build up. You just want to get confident in your mileage and just build the fitness slowly. And, you know, I do say these crazy sessions I do sometimes, but even if I'm like doing too many, then it's, probably going to lead to some issues down the line so the fact that it was uneventful is uh definitely a good thing i think yeah yeah absolutely that, that was that was the mindset going in and i'm looking at my training plan now and as it builds up and i'm like you know in in two or three weeks time my long run's going to be up to like 22 24 miles at which point i'm probably going to be very grateful of an uneventful training week just just to get through <laughs> those runs yeah, you'll have to you'll have to dip in to a few more park runs. Try and try and get them to schedule a few a few different times just to stagger, so you can run from one to another to help the mileage uh, on that long run day. Because it's funny, I, I I sometimes find it quite funny how runners scramble to get the long run mileage in. Like I like run with one friend and then go to meet up with another and then do a loop for a bit to try and let my mind switch off. And it's just just funny that we can't never seem to just want to just go out and do a, a long run. Uh, it's just boring to be fair yeah yeah i can relate to that especially these long runs that are now they're over two hours and they're going to approach like two and a half plus i think i'm just going to put out on instagram just gonna be like yo i'm running here on this day i'm running this far and i'm running this speed does anyone want to jump in for like any of it and just see see who tag along just so that it'll cut um just help the miles tip by because miles go so much faster mentally don't they when when you're with other people whereas if you've got to do like 20 miles by yourself that's going to feel like a 50 miler <laughs> no I, I often do runs with my friend and but my house is a bit further along than his so I always have to finish the last bit without him and I, like, I'd rather do the first 80% of this run again than have to do the last 20% by myself it's just it's crazy how much I'm like just chatting along switches a a run from being something what's enjoyable to something that's just mentally taxing. And I think that's 
probably the reason for the rise of run clubs. It's just you've always got someone to run with. And it just makes it so much of a better experience rather than a lonely one, which is, I mean, everyone says it's a lonely sport, but I guess it doesn't have to be if you you got like, you know, set up even just as simple as putting something out in your Instagram story, arranging meetups and stuff. Uh, it kind of goes a long way when it's helping you train. You don't really feel as burnt out any as well. Like I dread Sunday long runs by myself, but I actually look forward to them if they're with other people. So it's a massive difference if you're struggling to get out of the door. Yeah, I think I'm going to go across. I don't know whether you've seen them before, but Tracksmith do these community long runs in in London on Sundays. Have you seen them on socials? Yeah, I almost. I think I almost ran into them on uh, on Sunday actually, because my friend said that after, like, I think he said you should be thankful we didn't run into them. But I was probably I was going to say I would actually look quite forward to uh, tagging along and chatting rubbish to a, a few hundred people uh, on a Sunday. So what I thrive thrive to do. Yeah, they have like over two hundred people now. It's pretty well oiled operation it seems um so yeah some of the sundays that i've got free i think i'm going to tag along and just uh share the load on some of these long runs but that was one question i actually had for you what's your opinion on because i've got some long runs eventually not yet but in a few weeks time i'll have some long runs where it'll be like like one here i've got a 24 mile long run it'll be like two miles two miles easy and it'll be 20 miles at one mile at one mile at marathon pace and then one mile at one minute slower than marathon pace and then two miles cool down classic long run session um but what's your opinion on the shoes to wear for certain long runs you know obviously if it's time on feet i suppose it doesn't really matter because you can just wear mileage shoes but would you be the sort of runner that would wear your racing shoes for for these types of sessions uh on the weekend i'd like to start by saying i'm very fortunate to get sent a lot of shoes so i have a, a great choice i i probably would wear a marathon specific shoe or like a heavier running shoe like i say heavier but like the alpha fly or the primex rather than let's say the vapor fly or the metaspeed sky so like the a more traditional marathon racer or even like the training shoes like so uh, primex uh tempo next percent i think asics have the super blast those type of shoes i'd wear for those sort of sunday long runs because you don't want something as aggressive as a vapor fly because i think sometimes they can get a bit on your nerves when you have to do a long run week in week out in them but also you'd need the protection and you know the boost of having a a shoe or else you'd probably take quite a while to recover especially when you get above 20 miles so i'd I'd go with like a a more traditional marathon based super shoe yeah that was my thinking as well um yeah i've got uh got a few of those pairs lying around so i'll have to uh dig them out for some of these sessions but uh okay so that's training weeks rounded off so we're in a good place for both of us which is which is good what's coming up what's coming up for you Alfie what's your next race you know have you figured that out yet or are you just locking back into training after the cross country so I believe it is the Armour 5k on February the 8th which for anyone who doesn't know what Armour 5k is it is essentially the I'm gonna say the best 5k race in the world I think to be honest in terms of like what you get out of it, the people there, the atmosphere, it's just a great event. It's in Northern Ireland. Um, it's just a great race. So that's on the 8th of February. And then I believe I'm doing the British 3K Championships the week after on whatever the date is after the week after that on the weekend. So it's like nice. the 18th or something like that. And then I might make a comeback to the cross in March, but we'll see. It's just about getting fit as, as fit as possible. Um and kind of doing the races I need to do to take some boxes off, I think. 
Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. That sounds like a good plan. So let's review the weekend, Alfie. Obviously, we had the... Uh, I don't even know the name of it. That's quite poor um, from my uh, research purposes. But maybe you can help me out. What was the name of, this, of the race on Saturday that you did? I believe it was a British Cross Challenge London International. That's a mouthful, I think it was it? his name. But it was... I think it was that. Anyway, it it might have been Home Counties International or Home Counties London International. Uh, but I can't I can't quite remember off the top of my head. It was something along those lines. Maybe that's telling into the conversation we're about to have that we don't know the name of it. Maybe, maybe. Obviously, last week's episode we gave it a bit of a grilling. Um, well, I did about uh, the marketing and the promotion of it. I actually had quite a few people contact me after listening to the episode. Uh, I'm not going to drop names, but let's just say that certain individuals that work for certain brands that have certain influence over making certain call events happen had an opinion on the event um and they were varied you know some people agreeing some people obviously disagreeing which is which is a beautiful thing about our sport and opening the debate and that's what this podcast is here for but from your lens as an athlete not as trackster what was it how how would you describe it in in your own words being there as a race, I think it was actually really, really good as a race. So the course set up great, the dynamic of doing five laps, I think that's also good because sometimes you kind of get lost in the motions when you're doing a long race. Whereas if you keep the loops, you, you're always engaged with the fans and it just gives you a little bit of an extra boost. So as a, as a racer, I think it was ideal. And it's we talk about this, it's like a new innovation. It kind of was, but... Other than, like, the coverage was good as well. There was a screen where you could see there for fans to see the teams and what standings were, which is all great engagement. But I think compared to the Highgate on the track, where there's thousands of fans, there wasn't the there wasn't the number of fans there to make use of things like the tent or, you know, the lap because it the, even though there was. A decent amount of fans by my race but in a lot of the early races there wasn't too many people there so it did feel quite bare if that makes sense but from a setup perspective commentary a tent for the athletes changing rooms and stuff like that it was a very good setup but just from a engagement of fans point of view it was quite low which is probably what we were expecting going into it because of the marketing side of things but as a race it was good also, it's the first first time I've ever done it. So, you know, if you think back to night, 10k PBs when that first started, barely anyone went. You know, it's basically a club race. So, you know, it's got to start somewhere. I, th- I I watched. I only saw, I only saw the senior women's and senior men's races, because um, I was running 18 miles. But so I didn't see the early races and, and and what you said about it being bare. But my honest opinion when I turned it on, the women's race was a couple of k in. I actually shouted my other half and I said, am I looking at the wrong stream here? Cause I couldn't, I couldn't, I was like, where is, where is everyone? I couldn't, I couldn't quite gauge where the, where, well, one where people were um, watching. There were obviously a couple of spots on the stream where it showed people lining the, um, the route, but I couldn't quite work out where the kind of hot spots were for viewers to watch. So I was trying to understand where the, the, the tent was, um and i remember seeing one i remember seeing them run on run inside or run under this big white marquee thing that went over the 
went over the course and I thought, well, that can't be it because there's no one in it. It was just, there's just no one in it. It was just, it was, you know what I mean? Like it was just, they ran through and that was it. Maybe that was it. I don't know. You have to let me know. But I just couldn't quite understand where everyone was. Um, and then at the end, the finish area, when there was like the, the uh, Andy Hobdell doing the interviews and stuff, it looked really busy around there. So whilst the stream was great, really good quality and commentary and all of that sort of stuff, fantastic. Um, I just couldn't quite grasp uh, the sort of, yeah, where, where all the viewers were. And, and it didn't make it look like a really, really busy event. But but like I say, like, that's, if there's not lots of people there, then that's difficult to do. What do you reckon? Yeah, that's a fair assessment. I think the tent was probably placed in the wrong place. It the the kind of the main fan access point was at the top of the hill because you could see all of the course. Whereas where the tent was, you couldn't really see the far end of the course. So no one was really standing at the tent because you'd only spectate the tent area. You couldn't really see much else. So I th- I, I was just thinking even when the day before when I saw where the tent was, I was like, it's kind of out of the way of everything. Um, so I think it was just done because the idea was there and if they do it again it'll probably get moved somewhere else because it was quite it was quite interesting just to run through a, a marquee like if it was twice as long and in a different area and th- that's where the fans are probably create quite a good atmosphere to run through but I think it's just in the wrong place on the course and um, for again most of the races there wasn't enough people there to really utilize it anyway and where was the because in the Build up. They were marketing a, a beer, a beer, a beer tent. I think that's what it was called. But where, where was that situated? Because I, because I, I didn't notice that on the stream. I wasn't sure whether that was within the tent, like that you ran under, or was that off the course? What was the crack with that? Uh, I, I didn't see one there. There was like a VIP tent, which I'm not sure what constituted as a VIP, uh, but there was like sandwiches and stuff in there. But I don't think there was a beer tent. Uh, there was think... like a burger, burger stand and stuff. I think there was there definitely was beers. I know that for certain because I had mates that had beers. Um, so okay, maybe we need to you know ask someone else on that. So that VIP tent that was another thing that I thought wanted to talk about. I didn't see that on the stream. You don't expect to see things like that on the stream because obviously you know you're watching the race and the cameras are going to be on the competitors, which is fair enough. But talk through that. What what was that? Was that another marquee? Was that a tent? Was that a building? Like give us the the vibe. What what was it, what did it look like on the ground? Uh, it was just like a marquee a bit sort of near where the actual tent, the engagement tent was, which was quite interesting because they were both quite further away from the centre area. Uh, but it was just people having sandwiches on the inside. <laughs> I didn't really have that much of a peep in. I'm not sure if it was officials and stuff like that. I'm, I'm not sure. I just saw in and like, that looks warmer. And uh, it looks what like What sandwiches did they have? That's what we want to know. What sandwiches did they have? I don't know. There's just the classic, the classic sandwiches you see. <laughs> Ham uh, and cheese. <laughs> yeah. Were there any volavons? So, I don't even know what they are. I'm northern. What, what are they? <laughs> oh, get yourself down south, lad. I'll show you what a volavon is. Anyway, well, okay. So that, yeah, that, okay. Well, that's, I mean, that doesn't really give me any sort of more information on, on what it looked like. Um, but uh, maybe I'll ask some of my mates who definitely would have made use of the beer tent. That's that's for certain. But I did ask them on the day. I said, you know, how's it going? Um, you know, is it any good? And, and a couple of them said, yeah, it's not too bad, actually. But they also were drunk so <laughs> that you know that that does help but like i say i think um i spoke to a couple of people after the event and 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 sort of over the last few days off the back of our podcast episode and i think it's a good idea i think that whilst um whilst it's seen as a really new innovation i don't think it is that innovative no it's not disrespect to the event 
it's what European cross country meets have been doing for decades. You know, you watch a European cross countries, it's exactly that short loops, people lined both sides. Um, I don't know whether there's any booze there, but yeah, if we can add an element of, you know, that Brussels cross country meet, which you was a part of, um, then, then that would be fantastic for British racing. And I think that adding the elements like the buck qualification races, not the bucks qualification races, the short course bucks champs to go to world university champs. I think it just adds a nice flavor um, into, into the calendar. But I do have a question for you, Alfie, and this is one thing that I discussed with with some other people. Now, obviously, On was supposed to be sponsoring the event, um, worked on it for four months, and then were told that contractually British Athletics are sponsored by uh, Nike, so they're not allowed to, you know, promote other brands and whatnot. Which is fair enough; that makes complete sense. How it was done and in the right way, wrong way—that's another conversation. And On would have their opinion, and British Athletics would have their opinion, but. If British Athletics are sponsored by On, uh, sorry, so many brands. If British Athletics are sponsored by Nike, and they have been for a long time, and that's not really looking like it's going to change anytime soon, how does this event evolve with that stronghold kept on them? Because as great as a race director is and their team is, you need support from the brand. If the brand doesn't give you loads of branding and loads of equipment and, and things to elevate the event, i.e. have a look at the night of 10 KPBs, have a look at how much branding there is from on. There is meters and meters and meters of on branding all around the track, the infield, the outfield, inside. They've got big inflatable things. They've got billboards everywhere. Whereas I saw on the home straight of the international cross country, two meters of Nike branding, maybe. But that, like, how how does this event evolve without a collaborative brand pushing it forward? And that's the first question. And then the part two to that question is, would this race be better off not having that stronghold and the London International Cross Country Meet or whatever it's called just be its own thing, like a podium? So it's not got that British Athletics Nike stronghold on it. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? So we're going to take a short break from the podcast episode to talk to you about today's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pillar Performance. For those of you that are new to the show, Pillar is a sports micronutrition company who have developed products that intersect between pharmaceutical intervention and sports supplements for athletes. Recently, myself and Alfie and the entire Traxxas team have started taking Pillar Triple Magnesium, and it has been an absolute game changer for our sleep and recovery. This is the same magnesium used by athletes like Charlotte Perdue and Olympian Brett Robinson. Now, normally I take it about half an hour before bed each night. And where Pillar differs from other micronutrition that you may have taken before or seen on the market is the measurable results that I see on my Coros watch. So my REM and my deep sleep has actually increased between 10 and 15%. Now, not only that, if you've got a Coros or you've got a Whoop or you've got a Garmin, for me, it's a Coros, my actual recovery score has increased since taking the triple magnesium. And that is massive whilst I'm training for my upcoming marathon. So if you'd like to get involved with today's sponsor and you'd like to try Pillar today, head to pillarperformance.shop. Or if you listen to our episode in the USA, head to thefeed.com forward slash pillar and enter our discount code Traxter for 15% off. 
So that's Trackster for 15% off all of your first time purchases with Pillar Performance. But enough of that. We're going to get back into the show. Let's crack straight on. Well, I'll break this down. First of all, the first question. I don't think it can evolve very far without a brand what seems to back it. My initial question was if the Knight of 10K PBs has some form of 10K qualification, if I'm if I'm not wrong, it's the 10K British Champs. Yeah. If that's if that's a British Champs, but then it's also with Arm, why can't we get a situation where it's both? Because mm-hmm. it kind of is. It's a British event, sort of, but then also its own event. So maybe we just have I figured that out. I don't know the logistics behind that. It's because they and put it second... it's cause, it's cause they put it in the cross challenge. Okay, so that that's why I, I think it needs to be a standalone thing then it, it, for that to work because we can't. It's just a conflict of interest with brands and also keeping it a certain way. You can't really innovate too much if it's also within the same lines of the cross challenge. Secondly, um, in terms of the branding side of things, I actually can only remember seeing one branding and it was like like you said a couple meters of sports shoes and that i didn't realize sports shoes were there um i'm not sure what the feature was from sports shoes but i guess that's the only way they could get a brand on in board is have a sports shoes or a pro direct or a top four running where they can exclusively do it as a nike budget ad- ad event but it's a retailer what sells nike etc so we had like podium where i think it's you know there's a few adidas podiums there's some nike podiums do it like that where the retailer does it with an emphasis on 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 a specific brand that's probably the way you can do it without having one big brand um and your second question was something that i've entirely forgot already you kind of answered it already. I asked whether you think the event should sack off the British Athletics Nike stronghold and just do it with a with a brand um, or retailer. And you said that you don't think the event can evolve uh, unless it's got a brand that push it forward. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's essentially it. I feel like Eamon Martin, the race director, is he, he really wants to improve domestic running and the excitement because like you said we see it in different countries so it's not innovative across the, the the world but in the uk it is um so i think he really wants to kind of grasp it and then just help it in every way possible but at the end of the day he's not a marketer he's not a social media guy you know so as an event an event and its marketing is two entirely separate things so we need something we need a team behind it where you know that actually gets driven forward and gets hype around it um and in return that should help a brand come in and or more brands come in and you know want some sponsorship space and stuff like that so i think it should be a separate thing uh, but keep the stakes of qualification for the worlds or the books or whatever you need to to make it so people actually are emphasized to race as well as the prize money because there was good prize money there as well yeah absolutely there was was good darwin offer so yeah, we'll wait and see what happens with that in the in the next year. But uh, yeah, big well done regardless, Alfie. I know you said it wasn't your best race, but uh, fair play for having a crack anyway. And always good to run in another England vest. Moving on, we're going to cover some indoor results uh, from a British perspective. Most notably, indoors in Germany in the Dortmund International Meet. We had Georgia Bell and Ravey Walcott-Nolan. I mean, 
wow. Both round 403. Georgia taking the win. Reve just behind her. That's a personal best from Georgia of three seconds outright. So her PB outdoors was 406. It was just off of Reve's PB, but her indoor best prior to that was 410. So I see that as a PB, really. But yeah, both secured that world indoor qualification. Um, you know, I think it's incredible racing from Reve. She's obviously changed her setup. She's now part of the OAC. Uh, Europe outfit. I don't quite know how she's being coached. I know she was being coached by uh, her fiance Dale Clutterbuck. I don't quite know whether she still is or whether she's coached by the OAC Europe coach. Um, but Georgia Bell, coached by Trevor Painter, who obviously coaches Keely Hodgkinson and a, and a massive group of talented athletes. She does a lot of her training solo. Obviously, we had a, on the podcast not too long ago, she spoke about how much cross training she does. And to come out with a 403, I mean, it's incredible. What are your what are your thoughts about that race, Alfie? I, I saw a video this morning of it, and it's funny how they're so far ahead to, to the rest of the field. Like, I was like, who finds these races in a different country where they just go and can dominate but run really fast? So, I mean, it's always great seeing British success, especially in the middle distance, uh, which we seem to be continually improving at. Uh, but also, you know, it's it seems to be a common theme that we we get someone on the podcast and then they go and race really well. So it's, it's either us really good at scouting guests or we've got some sort of magic uh, where they come on and then all of a sudden start racing well, which should be a sign to every, every other athlete listening to this to come on the podcast, I, I think, anyway. Yeah, spot on, mate. Yeah, I yeah, know. We've had this a few times now. There seems to be a trend where, yeah, you come on the tracks of podcast and then you, you run really fast and you run a personal best, which is which has happened for Georgia. And on that podcast, when I, when I chatted with her, I actually asked her, because she works full-time in a corporate job in the city of London, um, has a full career. Um, I can't quite remember what her job was now, but uh, yeah, it sounds like a pretty full-on job. And I asked her, I said, how fast would you need to run to go full-time athletics and sack off your salary, sack off your job and all of that? And she didn't give me a number, but she says she has a number in her head. And at the time, she was a 4.06 runner. And I would probably predict that that number is four minutes. That's probably what I would predict. If you're going sub four, you deserve to be a full-time athlete earning, you know, a decent decent whack that will put bread on your table. So 4.03 indoors, that's not too far off. And I think that, you know, if she continues this form throughout the indoor season, who knows what she can do. She might qualify for Worlds, for TGB, if she qualifies at British Champs, and then onto the outdoor season. I'm I'm seeing good things, and let's not let's not forget as well. She's she was a good 800 meter runner. I mean, when I say good, she was a fantastic 800 meter runner in her earlier days. She ran 203 in 2014, so that's a long time. You know, that's 10 years ago. So she's got speed in her legs, and she's obviously got the endurance as well. So be interested to see what Georgia can do. And then in terms of Reve, I mean, Reve is just she's such a talent. I think. I think she could she could she could run as fast as she wants if she if she gets it right on the day. So it'd be interesting to see. But what are your predictions, Alfie, for these two? You know, when you look at the lineup British British have got with uh, you know, Laura Muir, uh, Kate Snowden, Millie Courtney Bryant, you know, where do where do these girls fall into that? I think it's the same in the men's and the women's side now where you couldn't you'd be stupid to predict who makes the team in even the day before the championships, like we, you know, we've got Muir, like you said, so many athletes in the mix. I don't know. It, it, and 
there's still a long time until outdoors. So a 403 indoors at this time of the year shows really good promise to go sub four by outdoors. But would sub four be good enough to qualify? I think it really just depends on who's got a kick on the day at the championships because they're all going to, we're probably going to have five, six, seven women who are going to run the standard for the worlds in the 1500 meters. So then that just comes down to championship racing. And part of me wants to like, for these events where we've got so many athletes with the times, part of me wants to go to the, the structure of the U S where it's just top three on the day yeah. rather than this question of, who makes it. And I know last year that would have mean that Josh Kerr didn't make the 1500 meter team. And then he went on to win the world championships, but I'd love to just see it the race on the day. And then you know, who's going on the day and it's in the control of the athlete and not in a decision making governing body. I think that'd be great for the sport and spectators to see. And also I think the athletes would probably prefer that because it means that they can control their fate in terms of getting selected because they're, they're more than capable of running the times to get selected. And then they deserve a shot to race to get selected, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, complete sense. I think, yeah, it's so it's so stacked, isn't it? And a lot of these athletes, you know, I think all of the fifteen hundred meter girls, maybe, maybe not the maybe not the fifteen hundred meter runners that are like 800, 1500 meters, but the ones that are like fifteen hundred meter through and through, they're probably looking at the five thousand and thinking, oh, do I do I go for that? Like, you know, everyone's running fast in my event. Sub four might not be enough. Do I step up to the five k? So. There's interesting, interesting sort of thought processes there. Whether 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 these athletes like Reve and Georgia step up because they've run fast over the five k as well. Let's not believe that. Let's not forget that Reve's run fast on the road. She ran a quick run around Battersea Park once. Georgia's run fifteen thirty odd as well. In fact, Georgia ran thirty two twenty odd at Telford to win ten k a month before running four oh three. I just don't know. I don't know, I don't know how you turn it around so fast. That's, that's some serious serious shape. So yeah, I'm I'm um, I'm looking forward to see what these girls doing in the rest of the indoor season. And sticking with the indoors, Alfie, obviously news came through and we covered it on This Week in Athletics, which if you're not aware of what that is, that is a weekly YouTube show that we do. That goes out every single week. We round up the last seven days of athletics news all within five minutes. So yeah, go and check out that episode. But we did touch on the fact that Jakob Ingebrigtsen has said that he's not going to be doing the world indoors. So that means Ingebrigtsen, silver at the world, Josh Kerr, gold at the world's, I've said that they are not doing the indoor world champs. They're going to focus on the outdoor season. So question to you, Alfie, who is going to be world champion? I am going to just say Neil Gawley off, off of that. He came second to Ingebrigtsen last year at the European indoors and he looked very good then. And I think if you come second to Ingebrigtsen, in a race, then that automatically puts you favourite if he's not racing. So I'd say Neil Gawley. I, I don't know if, uh, you know, we've seen it with Josh, who's announced he's not racing. Uh, I don't know if Neil is racing indoors. You'd assume he is. But, you know, if someone like Yared Nagus is racing indoors or if Cole Hawk is racing indoors, um, they also are with a shout. There's, it's just who picks to do indoors in an Olympic year. Uh, but I feel like Neil always seems to do indoors. So that's what I'm just going to go with that prediction in the men's 15 for Neil. Neil Gawley to take the win. We haven't seen Jared Nagus toe the line this indoors yet. Obviously, he's lined up for the 5,000 metres in the upcoming uh, BU meet. But I, if if he's racing, 
<laughs> he's going to be hard to beat. He's going to be so hard to beat. But Gourley's very good indoors. He's so, so good indoors. So, be interested to see. I think... I don't really want to put a prediction on it right now because I can't put a prediction on it right now because I've not seen anyone race this indoor season yet. Do you know what I mean? I can't. I need to see if if Nagus comes out and runs thirteen flat, then I'll be saying, yeah, he's he's, he's winning world fight. He's winning the world fifteen hundred. But it all depends, isn't it? And indoors is such a topsy turvy sport. It's so different to the outdoors. So it'd be interesting. And in fact, we keep saying indoors. It's not called indoors anymore, is it? It's called short track. Yeah, we need to be more professional. That's very poor from us, actually. Short That's track. stupid, mate. That's the stupidest name ever. Whoever thought of that is a donut. World short track. Like it's, like, it's like messing around with the offside rule in football or bringing VAR in. Just leave it alone. There's nothing wrong with it. <sighs> Honking. Honking, mate. And But I also think if you're in the goose race of the world, he'll be racing the world as a world record holder in the mile. I think he's attempting that this season. And I don't see a way that he doesn't break that record if he's fit and healthy. So he, he will be a world record holder, I think, by the time Worlds comes along and probably be a sub four, be a sub 13 5k runner as well. So he might be a hard to beat. Well, what we're going to have to do is, Neil Gawley, if you're listening, we're going to have to get you on the podcast the day before Worlds and then you'll win. Simple. So we'll see what we can do. We'll make contact with your team. But obviously it's in your best interest to come on the podcast. Um, so moving on to our next segment, Alfie, we're going to cover the, uh, the WTF of the week. So, uh, listeners, we'd started this last week. Basically, what have we seen on social media this week that's running related that has made us go WTF? Alfie, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I'm just going to read this headline because I still can't quite believe it. Nico Young runs 357 mile at 7,000 feet. The NCAA conversion for that is a 3.48 mile, which would be one of the fastest miles in history for the indoor race. And that is coming from someone who is traditionally not a mile runner. So what makes me WTF is this conversion allows him to qualify for things within the NCAA, I believe, and also gets him on the rankings. So surely it's credible. Then also to think that he's just ran a 3.48 mile is... Crazy. So it's it's hard it's hard for my brain to process this conversion and this statistic. Um, do you so know anything I've got about this that. conversion? Do you know Do you know much about where it comes from, what's included, and how they come to that number, or do they just put it into like uh, Coach Schwartz's calculator? <laughs> I think there's an official NCAA conversion because there's there's loads of conversions you could search it online now and convert it i haven't actually checked if that the specific one on google shows is is the same but i I believe there's an ncaa one what ranks performances based off altitude if the track isn't banked so if you have to run around a 200 meter track what's not got curbs they convert that as well and so i'm not entirely sure how credible it is or who is in charge of the conversion and how they judge if it's right but they use it so i I assume some people somewhere trust that the conversion is credible which again just goes back to the baffling thought that nico young's around a 348 mile which should be the equivalent to around a 330 1500 meters outdoors which doesn't really add up in my head no offense to nico young a phenomenal runner but we all know him as kind of a 5k guy 10k guy 
So this 1500 mile time is uh, out of this world. Literally. Well, we're just going to see, aren't we? Maybe he'll pop down his uh, pop down his local for a 1500 metres next and see whether he can uh, run that 330. Uh, my WTF of the week is slightly more humorous than serious. And what we're going to do is we're going to try and clip this clip and pop it up on the screen so that you can you can watch this one or at least play it. Basically, I don't know whether you've seen Alfie, but during mass races, and I'm talking like mass marathons, so your New Yorks, your Londons, your Bostons, it's quite a massive community activation, yeah? So, like, you've obviously got your people at the front of the race that are, like, gunning it. You've got your elites. And then further down the field, you've got people there that are having the best time of their lives. Maybe they're running for charity or maybe they see their friends in the crowd and they're gassed. And a lot of the time, runners run over to their friends and family members and, like, high-five them, hug them. Sometimes some of them chug a beer. It's a bit of a moment, right? Now, my WTF moment of the week, I saw on Instagram, and this poor, this poor lady, she's running in a race and she sees, I've just watched it again. She sees her friends and family and she runs over with her arms spread out to hug them. And just as she reaches the railing, she face plants the floor. <laughs> and in, do you know what? In true testament to her, she gets straight back up. And I just thought, what would I do in that moment? And my thought was I would stop my watch i would walk off of the course and i would walk to the nearest pub and drown my sorrows <laughs> uh yeah so that's my wtf moment of the week uh luckily i don't think she hurt herself but i just found it quite quite funny i'm sorry to say i think if that happened in a shorter distance race you can almost like you're like okay cool but when you're going through so much pain in a marathon and so many people are watching and someone's filming it as well that just makes it a combination where you just i don't see how you can uh live down that moment especially now that it's going viral on social media as well so maybe that makes it worthwhile but also i mean now this podcast knows about it you've seen it online how many views does it have can you see that there Let's have a look. Let's have a look. Because as well, like, it's your moment, isn't it? It's that, you know, your family have been waiting there all all day to capture that moment of you running past and embracing your family, etc. And then you stack it. So views right now. Let's have a look. It's off an account. Here we go. It's got 7.9 million views. <laughs> That's so many views. Oh, God. Imagine running, walking into work on Monday. Oh, yeah, yeah. How, how was your weekend? Oh, yeah, you know, I was a bit tired and I had to run a marathon yesterday. What's that, what's that big graze across your nose? Oh, I fell over. Oh, you're not that girl that fell over in the marathon. <laughs> Poor girl. Oh, well. On to the next. I just think of your clip from uh, Running London, which I always see everywhere. Um, I don't know how many views that's got, but it's quite an iconic clip. And just imagine in the middle of it how much the moment would have been ruined if he just fell over. I would have, I would have done what I said. I would have stopped my watch, walked off the course, and walked straight to the pub. And you would never have seen me. Well, no, you wouldn't have seen me for a long time in front of the camera. Let's be honest. I would have, I would have not been able to live that, live that down. But uh, oh well, good, good on her for getting up and props to her for doing a marathon. If you do, anyone that does a marathon is a, is a legend. Whether you, whether you face plant the floor or not. So, yeah, I'm just trying to think whether there's anything else we need to cover. We will edit this bit out. Uh, the bu invite the 5,000 oh, yeah. if we could Let's just go through that. the fields 
So if anyone doesn't know, Boston University indoor track or short track, sorry, is renowned for being a fast track. Like essentially the underfloor is made of plywood and the track is really nice and spongy. So you kind of get a, a push effect. So everyone runs really fast there. And that's why everyone goes to race. And the fact everyone goes to race fast there makes it even faster. So we've got a meeting there this weekend. I think it's the January the 26th. So this week, actually, when this podcast comes out, it's probably tomorrow or the day after. So if you listen to this, it might have already happened. But just uh, bear that in mind. So if you maybe might want to go and check the results. But the John Thomas Terrier Classic in the men's 5,000 metres, we have Yaron the Goose, Woody Kincaid, who's ran a sub-13, Joe Klecker, who's ran a sub-13, Mario Garcia-Romo, another on-runner, George Mills, so the British British guy, 348 miler, 347 miler, ridiculously fast, great guy, 5K guy, started a YouTube channel, go and watch it. Brian Fay, low 13s, Sam Atkin, low 13s, Nico Young, which we just previously mentioned, and the the names on this list go on and on. So it's probably going to be the most stacked indoor race ever in the 5,000 in terms of at least names we want to see run fast. Like in, in the running world, in the running scene of people you know, you want to see these people run fast. And to think it's it's more than likely going to be sub-13, probably by quite a long way, because people are going there to run fast. And the women's race is headlined by Josette Andrews, who was running phenomenal last season. And, you know, same again there. We've got Amy Pratt from a British perspective. So I think it's going to be equally as fast as the men's. So we're just going to see some ridiculous fast times go down. And Boston is the place to do it. And I think everyone's starting to realise that's where you kind of need to go to get your times in indoors. For Olympic year, it's handy to get in as early as possible. So it's going to be a great weekend for a 5K running at least. Yeah, it's going to be fire, mate. It's going to be absolutely fire, and hopefully we can uh, we can come back next week and we can cover that meet along with everything else that's been going on in the athletics world news. But that's all we have time for today on the Tracks the Podcast. Big thanks once again for Alfie for joining us on the show. It's good to have you back on the pod, and thank you for listening. If you do like the show, please do leave us a review and share with your friends. Tell your neighbours, tell your colleagues. This is the place to go if you want to know all things about athletics. I've been Lloyd, your host for today. And we will see you next week. Cheers, Alfie. Big thank you to our sponsor of the show, Pillar Performance. And if you'd like to try Pillar today, head over to pillarperformance.shop. And if you're listening from the US, head to thefeed.com forward slash pillar. Now, after seeing so many top athletes on my Instagram using Pillar and their stats improving for their sleep quality and recovery, we were buzzing at Trackster when we were able to team up and I could give their triple magnesium a try. What I do is I take it 30 minutes before bed And not only do I feel like I recover better, the data from my Coros shows hard and fast improvements in my HRV and restorative sleep. So in the same way you might start your day with a coffee, wind it down with a pillar, triple magnesium and recover better for your next run. Now, if you enter our code TRAXTER, you can get 15% off your first time purchase. That's TRAXTER for 15% off. And to stay up to date with all things Trackster, head over to our Instagram and drop us a follow. A big thank you to you all for joining myself and Alfie on the show. And we'll see you next week for another chat. Cheers.